Our scripture reading for tonight is Luke 2, 22 through 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, It's good to be with you. It's always fun um, on this evening, uh, particularly seeing uh, friends and family uh, of those who Come to Redeemer City. It's really fun to meet you all. Uh, my name is Nate. Serve as a pastor here. Um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful evening. Um, as you can tell, um, we were talking a while back, uh, just about four minutes ago, or excuse me, about 20 minutes ago. We were in the circle, and I said, hey, everybody, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And I said straight up, it's Elf. Elf is by far my favorite. And if you've seen Elf, you know there's one of my favorite scenes is when Buddy who, if you know the story, he's the human who grew up in the North Pole. He's having a conversation with Papa Elf, and and Papa Elf says, well, silly as it sounds, a lot of people down south don't believe in Santa Claus. And, of course, Will Ferrell, playing buddy, says, what? Well, who do they think puts all the toys underneath their tree? And Papa Elf says, well, there's a rumor flowing around that uh, that's what the the parents do it. And then Buddy comes back with that classic line where he says, that's ridiculous. I mean, parents? Could they do that all in one night? What about Santa's cookies? I suppose parents eat them too? Such a great scene. And underneath it, it really is about one thing. It's about faith. It it begs the question, what do you believe? Now, Our passage in Luke 2, to be clear, is not about Santa Claus uh, or about reindeer, but it is contending for faith, for a trust in Christmas, and it all zeroes in on Jesus. Um, And here's the point. Uh, In our current moment, cultural moment, faith is not easy. It's really not easy. Um, 
I, I, I used this quote a, a couple weeks ago in our Sunday, but it, it still rings true for me. Uh, Flannery O'Connor, she's an American novelist, she's a Christian. She won the 1972 National Book Award for Fiction. But in a letter writing about her first novel, she said this, it's hard to believe always, but more so in the world we live in now. Remember, she's a Christian. But there's also the other side. Um, Julian Barnes, he's, he's a secular novelist, and he opens his book, Nothing to be Frightened of, with this line. This is his first line of his book. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And what I appreciate about both of these quotes is there's the spectrum. You have people who believe and are Christian, and yet there's some wrestling going on. And then on the other side, on the other side of the faith spectrum, they're haunted by belief. I don't believe, but I miss him. And I would gather in a room here, uh, we fall in those two spectrums, right? All over the place, right? And what's wonderful about the Gospel of Luke is he writes for those types of people. Did you know that? Uh, in, in Luke's prologue, the very beginning of his gospel, in verse 4, he says this, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In other words, Luke's audience, as he's writing the gospel, is that there's plenty of reasons, plenty of counter-narratives out there, plenty of other things that might make you think that Christianity is a hoax or it's a myth. And even those who believed, notice, need to be reassured that there's certainty. In other words, Luke is writing to people just like you and me. In a world of skepticism, wondering about faith. And in this passage, I want you to see four things that Luke gives us. He tells us, firstly, the reliability of Christmas. Secondly, the meaning of Christmas. Thirdly, the offense of Christmas. And lastly, the test. There's a test at the end, all right? So let me pray, and we'll get in. Uh, Father, we just pray tonight, um, no matter where we are in that spectrum, <laughs> uh, whether we are doubting, whether we're skeptical, whether we're Christian, Lord, would you help us to encounter you tonight? We give you thanks for your scriptures, which are sufficient to do that. Amen. Well, the reliability of Christmas. So let me ask you, how do you get your news? Like, what are, what's on your phone? Um, what are the news sources that you trust? And what are the ones when you get the, you know, the update, you go, I'm not so sure I'm going to trust that one. Right? We, we all have those, particularly in our day, right? Well, when Luke opens his gospel, one of the things he says is that he's carefully researched, and he uses this term, eyewitnesses. And it's a technical term. It's a technical term for official oral tradition. And Luke says, I've carefully studied these. And leading up to our chapter where we were right now tonight, he has introduced us to a number of witnesses. We've seen the likes of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, we've even seen the unborn forerunner, John the Baptist, somehow strangely leap in the womb of Elizabeth. Uh, last week, we saw shepherds in a field, and they're all testifying. 
all the likes, they're testifying that something's happened. God is on the move. That God's doing something. In space and time, right here. And in our passage, there are two more eyewitnesses. Simeon and Anna. And they have quite the resume. Uh, In verse 25, Simeon is described as righteous and devout. In other words, he is an exemplary saint. He is, as one commentator put it, a spiritually sensitive God-fearer. Anna, the last part of our passage, in verse 36, she's called a prophetess, which means she's a, a vessel for the revelation from God. And she's, if you didn't think she was committed, the text says she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And one commentator put it this way, that, that Anna is the highest example of female piety. And then, in the midst of this passage, Luke also mentions the company of the Holy Spirit. What Christians believe, that, the, that God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. And there's the Holy Spirit upon Simeon. In other words, through these individuals, Luke is saying, God is speaking. Here's where I'm at work. Now, here's what's fascinating. If you, if you do uh, a little bit of a, a stepping back of all these witnesses, one commentator put it this way, you've got, you've got simple folk of the field, you've got devout men of the city, and pious women of the city. These are the groups that kind of all make up Luke 1 and 2. And they're all saying, they're all pointing to Jesus. They're all pointing to Jesus. And the reason why that's helpful is like you and me, sometimes we only trust certain voices. So think about it. Like, for example, back in their day, well, someone who's a shepherd said this. I don't know if I can trust shepherds. They're pretty ordinary. They're pretty simple. But then if you're, you know, if you can identify with the shepherds, you'd be like, somebody from the city said something? Well, I can't trust anybody from the city, right? And some people might say, I mean, I, I can't trust men, can't trust what they say. I'll trust what a woman says. And other times people would be like, well, I can't trust what women say, but I'll trust what men say. And don't you see? They're all here. The whole whole group of witnesses. They're diverse. They're different. Did you see that? And they're all coming to this point saying, God is up to something. So... What Luke is trying to suggest is Christmas is true. It really happened. But these two witnesses don't just show us the reliability of Christmas. They actually show us the meaning. Um, In the passage, both Simeon and Anna testify to it. Um, In fact, both of them, it says at one point, they're waiting they're both waiting. So uh, in verse 25, uh, it says that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Anna, in verse 38, is waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And the question is, what are you waiting for? Right? What does that mean? And if we had Simeon and Anna here, here's what they would say. Long ago, the God who made the world 
made a covenant with our people. And our people broke that covenant. And because we broke it, we were sent off in exile. But this God made a promise that one day he would come and he would send a king and this king would rescue us and he would set us free and we'd be able to come home again. That's what they're waiting for. And what's interesting is that in the larger story of Scripture, this is actually one chapter, but when you, when you look back, it's actually the whole story of the world. From the, very, from the very beginning, there's a good God who made the world. And the crown of his creation was humanity and set humanity in the world, in the center. And then he lost them because they rebelled against him. And ever since then, we have all gone down the same path. But God had made a promise that one day he would send someone to rescue, to deliver. You know, um, it's a great hymn, O Holy Night. And one of the, the great lines of it says, Long lay the world in sin and air pining. And you know, you always read that, like pining, what does that mean? Is this a kind of wood or whatever what's happening there? No, it, it means that the world is stuck. It, it cannot get out. And we feel its effects every day. And yet God made a promise that he would make a way home. And that's why when Simeon picks up baby Jesus, he says in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Which is simply this. The king is here. He's come to rescue. And this is how it goes down. The deliverance takes a turn that no one around Jesus expected. Right? The rest of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus suffers and he dies on a cross. And the mean of this, what Luke unpacks, is that in order for us to be brought home out of exile, Jesus had to be put out in exile. He had to be cast out. And why? Not because of his sins, not because of his waywardness, but because of ours. But the eyewitness accounts, again, testify that Jesus did not stay dead, that he bodily rose from the dead, and that means the king has won. He's defeated everything and anything that sin can take from you. So here's the meaning of Christmas. God has come to rescue you from exile and bring you home. And it's all in Jesus. There's something else, and this is the third thing. There's the offense of Christmas. It, it sounds strange, I know, to talk about Christmas offending you. But, but look with me at verse 34 a second and 35. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is appointed to the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Um, these, 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 these passages are a little bit cryptic for a moment, but basically what's happening is Jesus is going to be divisive. In fact, Jesus is going to be opposed. Why? Well, a few years back, I was listening to a pastor and he put it this way. Everyone is offended. Every culture is offended by the gospel. So put it this way, he said this, if you grow up in kind of a conservative, religious, church-going community, this message that Jesus comes to rescue seems too easy. Um, quick story, there's, there's two sisters, and there's an older sister who was kind of like the, the really the, the obedient one, the church-going one, and the younger sister was the down-and-outer one. Made all the wrong choices, went all the wrong ways. But a little while later, the younger sister came to faith in Jesus. And she joined the church. And the older sister was troubled by it. Why? Because it's too easy. You're saying after everything you did, you can come. That's the message of Christmas. It's grace. But maybe in our current context here in Madison, what's maybe more offensive here is it's just too clear. In other words, the message is this. Jesus dies on a cross. He rises from the dead, and putting your faith in him means that's how you get right with God. That's too simple. You know, we'd rather get together share some opinions, some ideas. Everybody's a little bit right, a little bit wrong, and then go home and live how we want to live. And the message of Christmas is that it's about Jesus and what he's done. And here's what that means. Here's one way you can know if you've really encountered the message of Christmas. Have you been offended by it? It sounds strange, but if you really encounter it, that it's grace and grace alone and Christ alone, at some point, at some point, it's going to challenge you. But lastly, it leads to the test of Christmas. Um, years ago, when I was in middle school, maybe junior high, um, the, one of the things I remember from my science class was um, the litmus test. Does anybody remember those? <clears throat> so you have, right, the, the different liquids, and you take a strip, and you dip it in, and it's either an acid or a base. Am I right? Something like that, right? I don't know what the color is, but it's like, that's the test, and you can tell what it is. Well, in verse 35, it says that Jesus is the one who reveals hearts, and what that means is that he's the test. He's the test. What you think about Jesus, what you do with Jesus, is exactly how you relate to God himself. So let me ask you, because here's the test. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And the question is, what do you see? Like, who is Jesus? What do you see? 
So I imagine tonight, some of you, you might be curious, you might be skeptical, you might be new to Christianity, perhaps you've been away for a while, you're coming back. Who do you say Jesus is? Can, can, can I implore you, can I challenge you to take a season to really wrestle with that question? You know, it might mean having a follow-up conversation with someone who came with you tonight, or it might be returning. We're, we're actually going through a series in the Gospel of Mark, Eyewitness Account of Who Jesus Is, that will start back on January 8th. Please come. Or maybe you just get down and gritty and you read Luke's Gospel. It'll take you about two and a half hours. But, you know, you can, you, can, you, know, you can let the Netflix kind of streaming get a little bit of your own time, right? You can, you can make some space for it. But don't you understand? All eyes are on Jesus, that God is doing something. What will you do with him? He's the test. Now, some of you tonight, uh, you've been wandering. You've been disconnected. And perhaps you're here tonight and you wonder if you've actually gone too far. Maybe you've felt like I've made some really horrible decisions. Maybe I've messed up too much. If that's you, can I suggest to you that not only does Jesus reveal your heart and my heart, it reveals God's heart. I mean, think about it. The claim of Christianity is this, that the one who flung the planets and the stars, he came all the way here to rescue. Friends, if he has gone that far, do you understand? You have not gone too far from him. There is no question of his love or his commitment if you really understand Christmas. And for those of us here, who as we look at Jesus, we say, yes, this is where salvation is found. Well, let's take a quick cue from Anna for a moment. Because what does she do? Look at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, she responds upward and she responds outward. Upward, just gratitude. You see, if it's purely by grace, if it's not anything we do or contribute, in fact, in spite of who we are, then there's really only one response. It is a life of gratitude to him for what he's done. But secondly, it's outward. Notice she can't keep it in. She can't keep it in. This news is too good. The God of the universe has come to rescue us from exile and bring us home. And that means if you receive that news and you grasp that salvation, it sends you out. It sends you out to those around that you know, that you love with that message that they can come home to. 
Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks tonight for the gift of your son. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But we come to you with where we are and just pray tonight that whatever place we are in this room tonight, that you would help us to encounter, encounter you and who you revealed in your son Jesus who came to rescue us. And we ask this in your name. Amen.